Hello, everybody. It is really wonderful to see your faces. This is a big day. Uh, Jay and I have been here at Redwood for a year and a half, and this is the first time I'm seeing some of you from the nose down. It's such a nice sight. Welcome to those of you tuning in online. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, if you're new to Redwood, my name is Melissa. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'd love to get a chance to meet you and get to know you, maybe after the service or shoot me an email. Maybe we could grab a coffee or something. When I was in university, I worked at this popular restaurant with my sister in the small city where we lived, and we were pretty happy to work there. Uh, we really liked this restaurant. The food was really good, and now we had a staff discount. And it was a place where our friends used to hang out. So when we were done our shift, our friends would already be there. Uh, it was pretty good. And then we also, both my sister and I, got these little mini like promotions. So I was still serving, but on the weekend, I would do the weekend cash count and the bank deposit. So I was learning some new skills. And my sister got promoted to be the weekend shift manager or the front of house manager. Uh, this restaurant treated us really well, and we were grateful for our position. At that same time, another restaurant moved into town, and this was a popular chain restaurant, served the same demographic as our restaurant, and we were pretty excited about this, actually, because it meant that our little city was getting big enough to attract some bigger names, and we found ourselves after work, instead of hanging out with our friends at our old restaurant, we were meeting them at the new restaurant, because that's where everybody was hanging out. But I did this a little bit sheepishly because I noticed a couple of things happening. The first was this. When I was at the new restaurant, I started to see all of my old colleagues who had resigned in the last couple of months working at the new restaurant. And then also because I did the weekend cash, I saw that our profits were going down. The weekends were supposed to be our biggest money-making days, and we weren't taking in as much cash as we used to. And then I saw that my shifts were starting to decrease because business was going down. And I also saw the owner and the main managers having these like emergency meetings, and we were doing all of these promos uh, to try to lure our customers back. Yet, I still kept going to the new restaurant. This is where my friends were. Uh, it was getting more and more awkward, though. I remember one time, I was in the restaurant and one of the servers said to me, oh, I know you, you work at that other restaurant. And I tried to kind of hide and, and uh, evade the question because it was a small enough place that I didn't want word getting back to my boss. Sometimes at work, my boss would ask me, like she normally did, what are you up to tonight? And I began to lie because I didn't want her to know where I was. What was my problem? What was going on? Was I afraid of maybe losing my current job for not being loyal? Uh, was I afraid of hurting the people who had given me such a good opportunity? Or was I really afraid of being linked to what I saw as a sinking ship? Well, we're in the middle of a sermon series, Journey to the Cross, where we are looking at Jesus' last week of life before he went to the cross and was crucified. And today's story is about somebody who distanced himself from what he sees as a sinking ship. Except this denial is so much bigger than my restaurant job. This is a denial of the King of Heaven, the Savior of the world, Jesus, and it's done by one of his closest friends and followers, Peter. So before I tell the story, I want to give a little bit of background information, especially if you haven't been here for the past couple of weeks as we've been leading up to today. So 
Peter has been with Jesus for all of Jesus' ministry, and Jesus has had his last supper with his friends. And after his last supper, he says to his friends, you guys are all going to fall away from me. And Peter says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm never going to do it. So Jesus looks at Peter, and he says to this, or he says this, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now pay attention to three, because threes are going to turn up a lot in the story today. So Jesus says, you're going to disown me three times, and Peter doesn't believe him. So then Jesus takes his friends, Peter and two others, and he goes to this place to pray called Gethsemane. And our Redwood Kids and Junior High Pastor, Caitlin, who is singing here, gave us a beautiful message last week on this passage. So they go to Gethsemane and they pray. Jesus prays three times. And Jesus finds Peter asleep three times. And then Jesus is arrested. And He's going to the cross. This is the beginning of his trial. And he's before uh, the high priest. And Jesus is accused of blasphemy three times. And he tells the truth, even though the truth is going to cost him his life. So Jesus is on trial in the court. Peter is on trial in the courtyard, but a different kind of trial. And Peter handles it very, very differently from Jesus. So we're going to read that story today. Matthew 26, verses 69 to 75. Matthew 26, 69 to 75. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You are also with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before all of them. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him, And said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows... You will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we read this story. We hear this story about Peter. And we wonder how he could go to declaring that he would die with you, to betraying you and abandoning you 24 hours later. But God, if we're being honest, We deny you in all sorts of ways. We don't want to be like Peter. We want to stay connected to you, Jesus. And so would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, illuminate this text, open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to hear what it is you have for us, the church, that we might be forgiven, healed, restored, just as Peter eventually was. Amen. All right, so we got... Jesus, and we've got Peter, both facing some kind of trial for very different things and both handling it very, very differently. How did Peter go from declaring that he would die with Jesus to betraying him, to denying him within 24 hours? Well, it actually started earlier than our story today and followed a fairly predictable route, so predictable that it's a bit of a how-to guide. So today... 
against conventional preaching and pastoring wisdom, we're going to go through this how-to guide. How to deny Jesus in four easy steps. Number one, underestimate temptation. Number two, don't pray. Number three, distance yourself from others. And number four, start small. And as I'm saying this out loud, I'm imagining somebody on the internet, because this is online, editing it out (laughs) and just saying, the pastor at Redwood is telling people how to deny Jesus, but that's not actually it. My hope is that you don't actually want to deny Jesus, and this is more of a cautionary how-to guide. As in, we're probably all going to find ourselves somewhere in this guide, and some of us may have found ourselves already at the end, and we have denied Jesus. So I'm telling you this to offer us a little bit of a warning and a little bit of encouragement, because there's another story that we're going to get to at the end, where Jesus appears to Peter again, and there's another set of threes, three things. And in that story, Jesus gives Peter the greatest gift of love and grace that Peter could have ever imagined. So let's start. How to deny Jesus in four easy steps. Number one, underestimate temptation. Now, this is the season of Lent. And oftentimes in Lent, we give something up, we fast from something, and then on Easter, we break the fast, and we celebrate with Jesus on Resurrection Sunday. And this year, uh, my husband Jay and I have given up sugar and refined carbs because if I'm being honest, this is a bit of a temptation for me. It's a bit of a habit. And I know that if I'm honoring my body, taking care of my body, I'm honoring the creator who made my body. So conventional wisdom says, if I want to avoid the bad food, don't buy the bad food. But my daughter's want to be able to provide hospitality for their friends. And so they ask us, will you buy chips and cookies and candy and pop? So when our friends come over, we have something good to offer them. And I don't want to deny them the chance of providing hospitality for their friends. And I think to myself, I've made this commitment to Jesus. I can handle it. So I buy the stuff. But just to be safe, I put it in a bag And I put it in a corner in the basement under the stairs where I'm not going to see it all the time, and I think I'm good to go. But the problem is, is that I sit down in the evening to watch the latest episode of Top Chef or Survivor or whatever, and that's when my habit of snacking comes out. And I know where the snacks are. I've seen them, or I don't see them every day, but I know where they are. And this just progresses from there, and you know where this is going. Eventually... Our kids' friends come over, they go to the snack bag, and they find it empty. I am unable to resist temptation because I have underestimated the temptation and I've overestimated my ability to resist it by myself. We see this in our story today. Peter does this when Jesus predicts the betrayal. Jesus is not a life coach. He's not like a teacher giving good advice. He's not even just a good friend trying to offer a warning or an encouragement. At this point in the story, Peter knows exactly who Jesus is. In Matthew 16, there's a story where Jesus asks his friends, who do you say I am? And Peter declares, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And this pleases Jesus because Jesus responds to Peter and says, you are Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Here are the keys to the kingdom, Peter. So Peter knows exactly who Jesus is, and he knows exactly who he is in relationship to Jesus. But even so, 
When Jesus says to Peter, you are going to disown me three times before the morning comes and the rooster crows, Peter declares in verse 35, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples did the same. Why didn't Peter believe Jesus? Either Jesus is telling the truth or he's lying. You'd think that you would believe the Messiah, the son of the living God, but he doesn't. When Peter says, I would never disown you, essentially what he's saying is, Jesus, you're not telling the truth. And I know myself better than you. It isn't going to happen. We do this all the time, don't we? Do you find yourself at this point in the how-to guide? There could be a temptation in your life, and you know it's there, and it's this thing that's going to lead you away from Jesus, or it's going to lead you away from the best that Jesus has for you, a full life that comes when we are fully turned to him. Yet you underestimate the temptation, and you overestimate your ability to overcome that thing. And it could be that Jesus has been warning you, whether it's through your conscience, the Holy Spirit giving you a little nudge that this thing maybe isn't a good idea, or perhaps it's through friends or family or the church or what you read in the Bible or whatever it is, but you still say, mm, it's okay, I'm good. I've got this. So I just want to ask, have you ask yourselves this right now, is there a temptation in my life that I've underestimated? And as I asked that question in the first service, immediately something popped into my mind that I have to maybe think about and pray about. So I'm asking you the same thing. And if the answer is yes, then with the underestimation, it tends to lead us to this second step. How to deny Jesus in four easy steps? Don't pray. I'm not going to go into this point too much because, like I said, Caitlin covered it last week, but I just want to touch on it and how it relates to our message today. So just to recap, Jesus praying in Gethsemane. He's got Peter and two friends with him. He asks them to pray with him three times, and three times he finds them asleep. This is not good. <laughs> when Peter, or when Jesus finds Peter the second time, he says this to him. Look at the words that Jesus says. When then he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. Watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. He's been warned three times or that there's a triple denial coming. And he's been given a chance to pray three times so that he will be filled up and able to resist it. And he falls asleep three times and he doesn't pray. Why do we pray? This is a big question. It would fill up an entire sermon series. But simply put, prayer is a conversation with God where we build, maintain, and grow in our friendship with him. We begin to know who he is. We begin to understand who we are in light of who he is. And there's more than that going on. When we have a daily habit of prayer, we bring our gratitude to God we confess the ways that we have walked away from him or denied him or turned away from him. When we bring our asks and our requests to him. But then we also listen through silence, maybe through reading our Bibles. Something happens. We begin to come into alignment with God and his kingdom. 
And when temptation comes, we recognize it. We know it's not aligned with Jesus. And it's easy to recognize it for what it is. If we're not connected with God, that temptation is going to come. And we might not even see it for what it is. We're blind to it. There's something else going on too. When we pray, when we turn to Jesus more and more fully, we are more and more empowered by the Holy Spirit. The fight that was happening that day, the trial that was happening, was more than just Jesus' kingdom coming up against the kingdom of the world. It was Jesus' kingdom coming up against the kingdom of evil and death and sin and everything behind it. It was a spiritual battle. We cannot fight a spiritual battle on our own. We cannot fight a spiritual battle with flesh and blood alone. We have to fight in the spirit. That's why when we pray and we invite the Holy Spirit in, we are fighting that temptation with the power and the authority of Jesus. We have to do this because if we don't, behind every temptation, every time we move closer to Jesus, a new temptation is going to come up because the enemy does not want us to move closer towards Jesus. So we need the power of Jesus to resist that thing to do what Jesus is hoping that we'll do, which is to become more and more who he made us to be. And so I ask you today, do you find yourself in this place in our how-to guide? Where maybe you're a relatively new Christian and you've never actually had a regular habit of prayer and reading scripture. Or maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time and you've kind of fallen out of the habit. It happens to everybody. Uh, one of the best ways to connect again, I encourage you, is Jay mentioned the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. Uh, it's a great way to reconnect with Jesus, and you're introduced to rhythms of life that help reconnect us and keep us going so that we have that regular connection to Jesus. If we are not praying, if we are not connected, when the temptation comes, we're going to be blindsided, and it's going to be so much easier for us to deny Jesus. We're not going to have what it takes to resist with an empty cup. This leads us to our next step in our how-to guide, how to deny Jesus in four easy steps. We distance ourselves from others. I've been in a book club for many times in my life, and the reason why I've been in book clubs is because I really love to read. I love to read nonfiction, but I especially love to read fiction, a good novel. Uh, when I went back to work after my kids went back to school, I switched careers from teaching to pastoring. So I needed to work, but also do graduate studies in theology along the same time to get my pastor's credentialing going. So it meant all the reading I was doing was theology and biblical studies and leadership. And I really missed reading for fun. And so I was chatting with some of my friends in the neighborhood and we all said, let's start a book club. And I thought, this is great. It's going to hold me accountable to doing reading for fun but who was I kidding? I had no time to read the book, ever. But I still kept going to the club because these were my friends, but there's also something really good about book club. There's really good snacks. And I've already established that I like really good snacks. <laughs> so it was the snacks and the people that kept me going. But it started to get a little bit like embarrassing and I started to feel really sheepish because month after month after month, I clearly had not read the book. I was getting us off track. 
Uh, it was really bad on the months where the book was my choice and I was supposed to be the leader of the discussion. I could not do it. Now, my friends kept saying, just keep coming. We, wanna, we want your company. Show up anyway, even if you haven't read the book. But I was getting really embarrassed to the point where I started to avoid them in our neighborhood, which was hard because we literally all lived on the same block. I remember this one morning where I opened the door and I stepped out and there's Julie walking her kid down the street to school, and there's Estelle getting in her car, and there's Clara checking her mail, and I stepped back into my house and I closed the door because I was afraid that they were going to ask me if I had read the book, and book club was that night, and I hadn't cracked it open. So we do this, not just at book club, we do this all the time when it comes to Jesus and the church. Notice what Peter does in our story today. So right before our story, when Jesus is arrested, Peter is following Jesus at a distance. He doesn't get too close to Jesus because he's worried that he will be put in danger if he does. And so we read in verse 69, now Peter was sitting in the courtyard. And then there's that first denial, the first question, the first denial. And then we read in verse 71, then he went out to the gateway. And then the second and the third denial comes. Peter realizes what he has done. Then we read in verse 75, and he went outside and he wept bitterly. Notice that Jesus doesn't move. Jesus stays where he is. Peter is the one who's moving away from Jesus. But he doesn't just move away from Jesus. The second denial, or the second accusation, no, sorry, the third accusation that Peter gets is this in verse 73. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Surely you are one of them. Surely you're one of those Jesus followers. Surely you're a Christian. Surely you're a member of that church. This is Peter's strongest denial the denial that he belonged to the community of followers of Jesus. As we begin to give into the temptation and we distance ourselves with Jesus, don't we often want to distance ourselves from the followers of Jesus as well? Because it brings up the guilt or the shame that we might be feeling. It's like what I did in my book club. I was embarrassed because I hadn't been reading the books, and so I started to distance myself from my friends. There's also something else that sometimes happens as this self-defense mechanism. With my book club, I was the one not reading the book, but I began to blame my friends in this weird way in my head. Like, Julie just doesn't get it because she doesn't know how busy my life is. Or like, oh, Estelle keeps questioning me about the book. I feel like she's accusing me. She's so judgy. And really, Julie and Estelle are wonderful people. They would never, ever do that. We do that sometimes with the church too. Like, oh, the church is burdening me with these unrealistic expectations or they're judging me or whatever it is. That may be true, especially if it's an unhealthy church, but it doesn't matter. When Jesus calls us to follow him, we are called to join into a family the family of the church, whether we like it or not. The biblical scholar, Dale Frederick Bruner, is pretty hard-hitting and truthful when he writes in his book about Matthew. He says this, to deny being part of Jesus's church is no less a denial of Jesus than to deny Jesus himself. I'm gonna read that one more time. To deny being part of Jesus's church is no less a denial of Jesus 
than to deny Jesus himself. Bruner goes on in the quote. This is the lesson of the third denial. We cannot love the head, Christ, and hate his body, the church. No one can have God for his father who does not also have the church for his mother. Sometimes the church deeply embarrasses us. We would rather disavow any connection with her. When we are confronted with a you are one of them too, our first temptation is to say, no, we are not. But anti-church is anti-Christ. We Christians are vertical in our confession of Christ and horizontal in our confession of Christ's church. He writes, Christians are church people. Now, I admit, when I think about Canadian church history with Indigenous people, as an Indigenous person, I'm angry and ashamed of the church. And when I read stories in the news about people who call themselves Christians acting in ways that are so contrary to how Jesus would act and behave, I'm embarrassed for the church. I was talking to somebody earlier this week, and he was sharing with me about some trauma that he experienced in the church, some spiritual abuse that was happening. And he knows that he needs to go back to a healthy church because he's got kids and he wants them to be raised in the church. But when he thinks about setting foot inside, the trauma is reopened and he experiences panic attacks. I hate these stories because it's the church denying Jesus by not acting like him. It makes me mad when it's the church creating the distance, when it's the church breaking down the relationships that we were made for. And I have to admit, when people ask me what I do for a living, sometimes it's really hard to say I'm a pastor because of the church's reputation. But to hide my vocation is to deny Jesus. And the reason why I don't is because I have great hope for the church. I wouldn't be here if I didn't. No church is ever going to be perfect because the church is made up of a whole bunch of sinners, including myself, and we are all on varying degrees on the walk towards Jesus. But I really do believe that when the church is healthy and Jesus is calling us to be healthy, we become a group of people who love one another, who care for one another, who lift one another up, and yes, who even help each other resist temptation. We have a whole group of people who can help us steer away from the things that are going to take us away from Jesus. Every time Peter created distance between himself and Jesus and others, he isolated himself and he put himself at risk, which leads us to the very last step in our how-to guide. How to deny Jesus in four easy steps? Start small. A couple years ago, I was introduced to this phenomenon called the what the H-E double hockey sticks effect. And it goes like this. I break my Lent fast by eating a small bag of chips. And then I feel really bad about it. What gives me comfort? Chips. <laughs> and so I say, what the H-E double hockey sticks? And I just have a second bag of chips. Now, I didn't intend to have two chips, two bags of chips when I started out, but one thing led to another, and before we know, I'm well down this line of everything, just undoing my whole, my whole Lenten fast. We see this in the story today. Peter doesn't intend to be alone 
in the courtyard by himself weeping bitterly because he's denied Jesus. It started when he underestimated the temptation and overestimated his ability to resist. And then it progressed to him not praying. And then it moved towards him distancing himself even further from Jesus and the church before he's reached the very end. But he never intended to get to the very end. And every single denial is also varying degrees. It starts small. The first denial is, I don't know what you're talking about. He doesn't mention Jesus by name there, but he doesn't stand up for Jesus either. I don't know what you're talking about is actually a lie. He knew, he knew what they were talking about. The second one is an oath. I don't know the man. So it's a little bit stronger. And the third one, he calls down curses and he swears, I don't know the man, but he's also denying Jesus' followers, the church. Very rarely do we start out intending to walk away from Jesus or commit a crime or betray a friend or get lost down in the spiral of addiction. It usually starts small. And if it's left unchecked, it brings us to places that we never intended to go. If you find yourself here today where you know there's something small going on, or maybe you've reached the very end, there is such good news. Jesus knew. He knew that Peter was going to deny him. And he was there when Peter did it, but he still went to the cross. He went to the cross to be able to forgive Peter. He went to the cross so Peter could be healed, and so Peter could be restored and reconciled back to God, to himself, and to his community. And if you are resonating with Peter today, whatever you have done, it doesn't matter what it is, Jesus still went to the cross for you so that you could be forgiven, so that you can be healed, so that you can be reconciled back to God, back to yourself the way that God made you to be, and back to the community of the church. After Jesus dies on the cross and is raised again, there's a story in the book of John where Jesus is sitting around a fire with his friends and Peter is there. And he looks up and he looks Peter in the eye and he says, one time, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. So Jesus says, feed my lambs. And a second time, do you love me? And Peter says a second time, yes. So Jesus says, take care of my sheep. And then a third time, Jesus asks, do you love me? And then we read in John 21, 17, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all these things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And with this, every time, do you love me? And Jesus, Peter says, yes. He is slowly turning back to Jesus. This turning back to Jesus is called repentance. He turns back to Jesus, and he is restored, back in relationship with him again. But not only that, Jesus recommissions Peter. Take care of my lambs. Feed my sheep. Be the pastor that I called you to be. When I called you Peter the rock and said I would build my church on you, you are now ready to be 
the founding pastor of the church. When Jesus first said that to Peter, you are the rock upon whom I will build my church, Peter actually wasn't ready. He wasn't ready for that heavy calling yet. He was too proud. He was too arrogant. He was made all of these bold claims all the time without the substance and the character behind him. He was a dangerous leader at that point. He needed to be humbled. He needed to be softened. He needed to be broken. Can you imagine the difference in the church? If Peter still made all those naively bold claims all the time without realizing the depth of his sin and underestimating the the spiritual battle that happens, Can you imagine if he had founded the church without realizing how radically dependent he is on the grace and the power of Jesus? We would have had a very different church. Bruner writes, an unbroken Peter would have been an unbearable Peter. I think it's true. Other than meeting Jesus himself for the first time, the best thing that happened to Peter and the future of the church was this story today. I was talking with uh, my friend Marguerite, who's gonna come up here in just a second this week. Marguerite Teller is a member of our church family. And as Marguerite shared what Jesus was doing in her life, I thought, ah, this is exactly what I'm talking about this week. So rather than me telling you her story, I've invited Marguerite up, and she is going to tell you a little bit about her story right now. (laughs) Good morning. Thank you. Thanks, Melissa. isn't that hard? Just, um, I've done this. This, this is my story. I've denied Jesus. Um, for the past few years, God has been speaking to me in my dreams. He's waking me up in the night. He's bringing back memories of my past and showing me how my response to pain and suffering has affected my heart. I was hanging on to sin and hanging on to the offenses that have happened to me. Um, this is where I denied Jesus and I wasn't willing to follow him to the cross. I took these offenses and I kind of stuffed them in a box, shoved them under my bed. He's been restoring me with his love, not with judgment, but with an overwhelming abundance of mercy and tenderness. He's been showing me a new way. He's using the broken bits of my story to actually restore me. He's setting me free in the bits that were sinful responses to the pain that I had experienced. He has been showing me that my stubbornness and my willfulness prevent me from receiving all that he has for me. And he wants my life to be made useful and effective for his service. I've been living in the shadows for far too long. Um, I have a little story I wanna share with you, kind of analogy of a child standing in a high chair And the dad saying, sit down. And the child saying, no, don't want to sit down. And the dad says, sit down. And the child goes, no, I will not sit down. And the dad says one more time, sit down. And the child sits down and then looks at the dad and says, I may be sitting down on the outside, but inside, I'm still standing up. This is the story of my life. I want to do it my my way. I'm willful. I'm stubborn. But God is showing me that he doesn't want me to live like this anymore. 
He's saying, you've been keeping me at arm's length for far too long. Open the door of your heart where the sin is in the shadows, so carefully hidden away. Give me access. Let me in and set you free in the areas of your deepest pain. Let me take away the angst. Follow me into the suffering and to the foot of the cross. Let me sing a new song over you because I love you. And let me gather the broken bits and make something beautiful once again, like Kintsuku, Kintsuki. Can you identify where you are in those pictures? Are you a vessel that's willing to be usable? Are you still broken? I believe all of us are probably a little bit of all, right? But this speaks to me, this analogy speaks to my heart. God wants to make us usable again. Um, so in those moments where God wakes me up in my dreams or he wakes me up in the night, I have to grab my journal and I have to grab my pencil and I just furiously write. So I wrote a poem and it's called Leaky Eyes and I'd like to share it with you. My eyes are often leaking tears and it comes so easily in the quiet and holy space where I find you again and again. It is here that I begin to understand the depths of love that you have for me as waves of mercy flood my soul and leak out of my eyes. I begin to comprehend the reach my sin has had in my life and I am made repentant, your cleansing forgiveness washing over me and again leak from my eyes. I am longing for more of you in the far reaching hidden corners of my heart. I invite you there to bring your healing and to set me free so that I don't hide any longer. Let me live free and true, following only you with joy-filled, leaky eyes. Thank you, Marguerite. What I've loved hearing about Marguerite's story are the ways that she has recognized where she has denied Jesus, and she's turned back to him. And as she's turned back to him, she's found healing and restoration. But she's also been restored into her place in community where God has always wanted her to be. And I've been on the receiving end, Marguerite, of your love and your care, and I'm sure many of you have as well. Um, if you resonate with Peter in the denial, if you've denied Jesus in some way, Jesus has already gone to the cross for you. And he's looking at you in the eye right now, and he's saying, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And with each yes, we turn back to him. And not only that, if Jesus can restore Peter and call Peter to be the founder of the church to which we now belong, Peter, or Jesus, can restore you. He has a special purpose and a special place for you in the body of Christ, his community, his family, the church. There's something for you here. And so as we close, I invite you to say yes to Jesus. We're going to pray right now. And uh, as we do, just pray along in the quiet of your hearts. Jesus, we admit to you 
the ways in which we have denied you. Where we've underestimated temptation, believing we can do it on our own. Where we have neglected prayer, scripture reading, other spiritual disciplines that keep us grounded and connected to you. Where we have distanced ourselves from others, from other followers, from other brothers and sisters in Christ. And Jesus, we confess even the small things, the little things that don't seem to matter, but have the potential to grow into something bigger. We, for, we, we confess the ways that we have denied you, big and small. And now, Jesus, as you look each and every one of us in the eye, and you ask us, do you love me? We answer yes. Do you love me? Yes. And a third time Jesus says, do you love me? And we say yes. Jesus, thank you for finishing your journey to the cross and everything that was accomplished through the cross. Now, Jesus, we ask that you would fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit because we know that as we move closer to you, there is an enemy who does not want us to go there. Fill us with your spirit that we may be able to resist any temptation that may come our way and that we may walk with you more fully. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.